Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Simple Church fans out there on Facebook, that'll be posted later. Share it with all your friends, please. That's hilarious. So today, we are going to be wrapping up this series, like I said, and and what this series has all been about is Jesus. In the book of John, Jesus made seven I am statements about himself. And uh, we've been looking at four of them. Today will be the fourth one. The first week, we looked at where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And we looked at the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. The second week, we looked at where Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and how Jesus not only desires to be the light of the world, but he desired to be the light of your world. Last week, we talked about where Jesus said, I am the vine, and we we talked about what it means to remain in him, and that unless we remain in him, that we can do nothing on our own. And this week, we're going to wrap the series up with Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. In fact, he said that in John 11, 25. I'm the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what a resurrection is, uh, resurrection means that something has died and come back to life. Okay, that's, that's the situation. In this case, of course, we're speaking about Jesus. Today is all about celebrating his resurrection from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was around during that time, because I like to kind of imagine myself there, right? If I was one of Jesus' disciples and the guy that I saw hanging on the cross had died and three days later was now alive, I think I would have like a mixed bag of emotions. You know what I mean? I would be happy. I would be freaked out. I think I would do something that looked like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know how I would be feeling. I would just burst physically, you know, just like, ah. Nobody else is there with me. Say, Aaron, we, we just wouldn't dance like a priest like you just did. But Some of you, you'd say, well, Aaron, but we weren't there. We didn't see the resurrection. But some of you have experienced a resurrection. If you have ever killed a spider in your life, you have experienced a resurrection. Because those little suckers do not die the first time you try to kill them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can step on a spider, you can hear that thing crunch, and you get the tissue because you're not disgusting, and you pick it up off the floor, and the second you go to open that thing, that little spider starts wiggling, and you do this. Okay, now some people are with me. Now you're with me. (laughs) And here's the thing. You can't just step on that spider and then scoop it up with the tissue and squeeze it as hard as you can. No, no. You got to take that thing to the toilet because you can't just throw it in the trash can because it's going to come back from the dead and it's going to be in your pantry. You know what I'm saying? And you are wise. You're not like me. You flush that toilet before you drop it in because you know the second that that tissue paper hits the water that it is going to open and said spider will come back to life and swim to safety up underneath the edge of the bowl of your toilet and you know what has to happen then. The house must be burned down. Because <laughs> that, that spider is never coming out of there again. 
can't be sure. We've experienced the resurrection before, right? Kind of a freaky subject that we're talking about today. But today is the day that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And today, in, in order to talk about where Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, we kind of need to look at where he said that. That's what we've done every week. When he's made those statements, we've looked at the context. Where did he say that? And it actually happened within a story that was not about his death, burial, and resurrection. It was about a guy named Lazarus and his death and his resurrection. Here's a guy who died but didn't stay dead. And we're going to look through that. And, and while we do, I'm going to discuss three different ways that many of us die on the inside. And then we're going to take a look and see how the resurrection of Jesus brings dead things back to life, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in John 11. That's where this story takes place, but the verses will also be on the screen directly behind me. And it says, the beginning of the story says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3 says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So here's Jesus in the middle of his ministry, healing people, going around and preaching the good news that repentance is available, that the kingdom of God is at hand, creating believers and followers. And in the middle of his good life, he receives some bad news. Maybe some of you here today, you can relate. You're in the middle of a good life, and all of a sudden, you get some bad news. And unfortunately, you're in the middle of celebrating the season. You're having a great time. Maybe your job is going well. Maybe a lot of your marriage is going well, but that bad news comes. Maybe it's the bad news that Jesus got. Maybe you found out someone in your family is sick, or maybe you found out you're sick. Or maybe it's a job that you love, and you, you really enjoy it, and you found out that it's going away. They're downsizing the department, and that means you've got to go. Or others of you, it's, it's that your dream marriage is falling apart, and it's now a, a nightmare. Others of you, maybe it's a close relationship, it's a close friendship that is dissipating and you don't know why and you're saddened by it. Others of you, maybe it's just that the principal has called you about your kid and it's not the good kind of call, if you know what I mean. We've all gotten bad news in the middle of our good lives before. We know what that's like. But how Jesus responds to getting bad news is very peculiar and I think it's worth pointing out. In verse four, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. What? You mean the bad thing that your friend is enduring right now, Jesus, is for God's glory? You mean God's going to come out on the other side of this situation looking good? Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying. God is going to bring glory to himself through the worst thing that could ever happen. Not only to Jesus, but to you. Because God's point is to be glorified through your mess so that he can turn it into your message. Oh, somebody needs to write that down. God is about to take your mess and turn it into your message. That's what he does. That's how he receives glory. And so just to summarize verses 5 through 14 so as to not skip them, Jesus gets this message about his friend Lazarus. And instead of doing what was expected of him to come and heal his friend Lazarus, the Bible says that Jesus waited two more days. And after those two days, he said to his disciples, hey, let's go back. Let's go back to Judea. And his disciples remind him, he said, don't you understand? If you go back there, they're going to kill you because that's where they tried to kill you before. We can't go back there. And Jesus says, no, we've got to go back. We've got to go back because Lazarus has fallen asleep and we're going to wake him up. Now, Lazarus was actually going to die and Jesus knew that. 
but he was using a metaphor for, for death, saying, hey, he's going he's to fall asleep, we need to wake him up. So as he heads back, there are three characters that Jesus encounters that are all dying in three different ways on the inside. And I think that you might be able to relate to them. In this story, you'll meet Thomas, Mary, and Martha. The first guy who was dying inside, and the reason he was dead inside was he was dead in his doubts. We know the story of doubting Thomas, if you know the the crucifixion story. Jesus is resurrected, and Thomas comes along and says, I don't believe that Jesus is alive until I put my fingers in the holes in his hands and my hand in his side where they pierced him with the spear. He was called Doubting Thomas for a reason. And here is Thomas in verse 16 before Christ's uh, uh, crucifixion. It says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, everybody say Didymus. Sounds like a name for a rapper, right? We just need to put a P in front of it. P, Didymus. Oh, come on now. Have some fun with me. I know it's Easter Sunday and we're all dressed up all stuffy like, but have some fun. It says, Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What is he doing? You need to understand the way the, the, the Jewish people often talk and the way that they communicated was through sarcasm. Let us also go so that we can die with him, guys, right? He's being sarcastic. In other words, he's saying to them, this is not going to turn out good. Now, I wonder if any of you in your lives, in your spiritual lives, you've ever had some spiritual doubts. Let me see your hands if you've ever had a spiritual doubt. Come on, shoot them up. Let me see them. Uh-huh. Now, the rest of you with your hands down, you just sit there and polish your spiritual halos while I talk to the rest of the real people in the room, okay? Because there's not a single person that I've ever met that didn't have some spiritual doubts in their lives. In fact, the people closest to Jesus doubted him. John the Baptist, this cat was his cousin, grew up with him. He's the one, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, he baptizes him. And when he baptizes him, the heavens split open, a dove ascends, and God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And later, after experiencing all that, John is in prison, and because his circumstances are bad, he begins to doubt. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? Peter doubts him as well. One of his closest disciples. Upon Peter, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And he doubted him. You're going to tell me you don't have some doubts, some spiritual doubts. We all have them. And maybe, maybe they've, they've come because you prayed at one point in time in your life and nothing happened the way you expected it to happen. And so doubt has crept in. Maybe, maybe you believed growing up and you kind of got to a certain point in your life and you said, man, do I actually really believe this? Or was I just believing it or going along with it because that's what my mom and dad believed? Or maybe, maybe you got into college and there was some college professor who wore a bow tie because bow ties are cool. But you believed him because he said, you know what, God's dead. There is no such thing as God. None of this is real. And so you began to doubt what you actually believe. Or maybe you're like John the Baptist. You're going through something difficult in your life. Bad things are happening to you. Or you see bad things happening to other people. And you're like, if God was so good, why would he let those bad things happen? If God is so good, how come he doesn't stop hunger and starvation and wars and disease? If God is so good... How come cancer exists? And so doubt has crept into your heart. And suddenly you become like Thomas. You're dead, you're paralyzed, polarized in your doubts. Or maybe, maybe you're just dead in your discouragement. You're like Mary. 
Mary was discouraged. She said, I don't think anything good is going to happen. I don't see anything is going to change about my situation. I just can't seem to get a break. Because Mary's brother Lazarus had died. And the verse continues in verse 20. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Basically, she's like, why bother? He's already dead. Why do I need to even get up? Nothing can be done at this point. Maybe today you're like Mary. You're discouraged. You feel like you can't change anything in your circumstances. You feel like you're depressed and you're always going to be depressed. You feel like your marriage is bad and it's always going to be bad. You feel like you always fail as a parent, that nobody can ever really love you, that you're always going to be in that dead-end job that you're caught in, or that dream that you once had in your heart is dead and you've let it die. Why even work at it? Why even try? And you're here today, and you won't show it because it's Easter. You know, you're in your Sunday best, and you've got the Christian lingo. Praise God. Bless Jesus. Hallelujah. He is risen. (laughs) And you're happy on the outside, but you're dying on the inside. You're dying because you're discouraged. Maybe you're not dead in your doubts, but you're discouraged like Mary. Or maybe you're like Martha, who was dead in the delay. Martha felt like Jesus should have come back sooner. She felt like if he had, because she'd seen him heal other people, that Jesus could have healed her brother who was sick. If you'd have just touched him, Lord, he'd have been healed. So she says to him in verse 17, she says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, why is this important? Because around this time, they believed that when a person died, its spirit, their spirit would hang out around the body for three days so that they could be resurrected. Now, this is not a biblical belief. This is not a Christian belief. This is just a commonly held belief of the time. And so Jesus came and Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. So he's not just almost dead, you Princess Bride fans. He was completely dead, right? He's dead, dead. He's done. It's four days. His spirit is gone. There's no hope for him. Jesus, why did you delay? You could have healed him or you could have brought him back from the dead when his spirit was still here. So here's Lazarus all the way dead. And the King James Version does a great job of describing Lazarus, how dead he is by his smell. See, I live with two 14-year-old boys, and the smell mm, is oftentimes quite pungent around my house. From stinky feet to smelly bodies and things that excrete from their bodies, if you know what I'm saying, It is stinky around my house, but I don't know that I would describe them as the way that the King James Version described Lazarus' body. She said, surely, Lord, by now he stinketh. That's like a holy stink, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) He stinketh. So verse 22, she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says, why didn't you do something when something could have been done, Jesus? And maybe you're here and you can relate. Maybe you're dead in the delay because... You're expecting God to do something and he's delayed. He's slower than you want. I know there are plenty of young women that are, that are reserving themselves for their husbands. They're honoring God with their bodies and with their lives and yet they're always a bridesmaid and never a bride. And they're praying, they're like, God, what is wrong with me? I don't understand. What's the problem with me? All my friends are out there and they're in the clubs getting jiggy with it and I'm not doing any jig at all. How come I'm not getting married? What's wrong with me? Or maybe you've been trying to have a baby and you look around in your world 
And your friends can just look at each other and get pregnant, and yet you've been trying and trying. You're dead in the delay. Your heart is broken. Or maybe, maybe you've been praying for a loved one to come to know Christ, and it seems like the more you pray for them, the further away from Christ they get. You don't understand why God's not doing anything. Or maybe you need a healing in your body, or a friend of yours needs a healing in their body, or a family member needs a healing, and you've gone and laid hands on them multiple times, and nothing seems to change in their life. They're still sick. You're dead in your doubts or your discouragement, or you're dead in the delay. But I want to say something to those of you that are experiencing delay today. You need to understand that God's delays are not his denials. Somebody needs to write that down and take that home. You need to put it on a post-it note. You need to stick it to your steering column. You need to write it on the mirror in your bathroom. It needs to be on the cupboards. You need to maybe write it on your hand in semi-permanent ink. God's delays are not his denials. He is about to do something in your life. Just because he hasn't yet, doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan and that he isn't up to something. Besides, my Bible tells me that all things work to the good of those who serve him. All things. Whatever it is your situation is that is delayed that God hasn't responded to, that situation, that mess will turn into your message on the other side of it. All things. I heard a preacher talking about this particular story and he said in his Bible... On one particular page, all the bad stuff happened. And I flipped open my Bible, and I checked it out in this story. I said, I wonder if like, my Bible, or like his Bible, in my Bible, if it's the same. And I, I flipped open to John 11. And on page 1941, all the bad stuff happens. Jesus gets the bad news. Thomas is going crazy. Lazarus dies. Mary's depressed, and Martha is upset. And all that stuff happens on page 1941. But what they don't know is that when we turn the page to page 1942, everything is about to change. Everything is about to change. Because in, in, uh, in verse 22, it says, this is Martha still talking to Jesus. She said, but I know that even now, everybody say even now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Some of you that are dead in your doubts, and your delay and your discouragement are about to have an even now moment. I believe in those moments. That's why when somebody comes to me and says, my marriage is broken, let me pray for you. My body is broken, let me pray for you. Because I believe that even now, right now, right here in this moment, I can pray for you now and he may choose to act and all of this can change. Even now. When you turn the page, the story changes. Everything that happened on page 1941, God will be glorified for on page 1942. Because it all changes. The story shifts. The problem is, is that a lot of us today are stuck on page 1941. You're stuck in that, that situation, that circumstance. And you don't realize that even now everything is about to change. The page is about to turn. Saren, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's all right, you will. Because some of you are lonely 
you're experiencing loneliness in your life right now, and God is about to reveal himself as a comforter to you. Some of you are, are in confusion, and God is about to give you peace. Others of you are financially ruined, and he's about to show you how he is a provider. Others of you, your family is broken. He's about to put the pieces together even now. Others of you would say, Aaron, the mistakes that I made, my life is not worth anything. And even now, he's about to show you how much you are worth to him. You're about to have an even now. Some of you are cold and callous towards God, but even now, he will soften your heart so that you can experience his presence and his love again. Others of you, there's things in your life that are dead, and he's about to bring them back to life even now. The page is about to turn in your life. Verse 23, Jesus said to Martha, after she tells him that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. He says to Martha... Your brother will rise again. And she responds, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is the resurrection at the end of time when God will bring us all together for that final day of judgment and welcome us to heaven. And he says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. He said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm not able to do this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, in other words, walks this life out with me, follows me, does what I do, will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus makes a very powerful statement about himself. I am the resurrection. And he makes an even more powerful question to her. Do you believe this? Because that changes everything in your life. Because here's what Jesus is trying to get across to her. The resurrection is not an event. It's a person. If you're taking notes today, the resurrection is not an event. It's a person. Jesus didn't say, I'm able to resurrect him. He said, I am the resurrection. Because it isn't what he does, it's who he is. Because when Jesus is around, dead things don't stay dead when the resurrection walks into the room. They just don't. And Jesus, the resurrection, told them as he's standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, he says, take the stone away. In verse 43, he says, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. I'm not really sure why it was a loud voice. Like, are they hard of hearing when they're dead? I'm not sure. He called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. When you look at this story and you contrast it to the story of the resurrection of Jesus versus the resurrection of Lazarus, you see that that Lazarus, Jesus tells the disciples to roll away the stone. But when Jesus dies, the women go to anoint his body with oils and perfumes, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, who's going to roll the stone away from us, for us? And when they get there, they find that the stone had already been rolled away, that Jesus himself had rolled that stone away. Some of you are here today, you feel dead inside. You feel lost. You've lost your faith. You've lost your hope. Doubt and discouragement and delay have you feeling dead inside. You feel trapped like you're in a tomb. And no amount of your strength can push that stone away. Nothing that you can do. There's no friend that can help you. There's nobody that can move that stone in the tomb of your life. But Jesus is calling out to you and with the same voice that he called to Lazarus, he'll roll that stone away for you. You aren't strong enough to do it. Jesus will do it. 
Because today, as he calls you out, your sins can be forgiven. Not because you're good, but because he's good. You can be free. You can be set free from those addictions and from those things that have bound you all of your life. Not because you deserve it. And not because you're strong. Because he's strong. You can feel his presence today. Again, not because you deserve it, but because he's really that good. Because the resurrection isn't what he does. It is who he is. Why does that matter? Because God and his love and his mercy and his grace did something for you and I that we were incapable of doing on our own. He became one of us. The Bible gives him a name. He calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He became God in the flesh. He walked this earth. He was tempted like you and I are, and yet without sin. He was perfect. He did not have an earthly father He was born of a virgin. Why does that matter? Because an earthly father would have given him the same sin nature that you and I have. He was born with the divine nature of his heavenly father. So he walks this earth perfectly, lives a sinless life. He becomes what they call the lamb without blemish because see, in that day, a sacrifice must have been made. A price had to be paid for your sins and they used lambs to make that sacrifice. Jesus was likened to a lamb that was being led to that sacrifice. He was perfect. He was acceptable. And he laid down his life and paid a price that you and I could not pay on our own. He did that so that we could be forgiven. He died in our place. And he did so when he was brutally murdered on that cross. And while hanging and breathing his last breath, he declared that it is finished. And when he died, the earth went dark and shook. And all who believed that he was the Messiah lost hope in that moment. They didn't realize it was Friday, but Sunday was coming. Sunday is coming. Some of you, you're on page 1941 today, but page 1942 is coming. It's coming. Where God would be glorified in Jesus' death, He will be glorified in how he turns your mess into your message as that page turns. And don't get me wrong, on page 1942, it doesn't mean that everybody is healed and you've got the perfect body and you win the lottery. Because if that was the case, I've got an issue to take up with him. Amen? It doesn't mean that everything's going to be all right. What it means is that what happened on page 1941 will do will give God glory on page 1942. He's that good. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Today you may be here and you're dead in your sins because that's the way the Bible describes us. Because of our sins, because of the things that we have done that were not God's best for us. We've missed the mark. We're dead in our sins, we're dead inside. But because of what he did, our sins could be forgiven. This is something we call the gospel. This is the good news. And when he died, he paid the price for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He is risen. And he is the resurrection. Whoever believes in him will never die. The question for you today is, do you believe this? He asked Martha that, and it's the same one I ask you. And I want you to think about it as we bow our heads and pray. Today you're here and maybe you would say, Aaron, I'm a Christ follower. 
I'm a Christian. But I'm, I'm dead in my doubts. There's something that has happened to me that has caused me to doubt my faith. Others of you, you're discouraged because you feel like, why bother? Why try? Why try to fix my marriage? Why try to, to change how I parent? Why try to fix my finances? Why even pray about these things? You're discouraged. Others of you, you're dead in the delay in your heart because God's not responding as quick as you'd like him to. You're anxious, you're overwhelmed by what seems to be his lack of response in your life. And today, today you need a touch from God. Today, you need to have hope restored in your heart that everything that's happening on 1941 will glorify God when you get to page 1942. That even now, things can change. If that's you and you need that touch in your heart and your life, would you just let me know you're here? Just shoot your hand up and say, it's me, Aaron. That's me. Pray for me. I need that. I need that. Come on. Father, I, I, I pray today, God, for those that are struggling with their doubts. Lord, for those that are discouraged by what seems to be that they can never catch a break. Lord, those that are delayed, those that are, are re resenting your delay. Father, I pray that even now you would touch their hearts and their lives. Lord, that you can acknowledge their doubts. You're not threatened by them. You already know that they're there. That you would love them despite them. You would turn their mess into their message. Same with those that are discouraged, those that are delayed. God, touch their hearts and their lives today. Be the resurrection and the life in their life. Now there's those of you that are here today, you're not a Christ follower. And maybe it's your habit that every Christmas and Easter you show up to a church, and that's okay. We're glad that you're here. Maybe the reason you do is out of habit. Maybe you grew up going to church, but you've not actually taken Christ and made him your own. You've not personalized this message. You said, well, I, I know it in my head that that's right, but in my heart I haven't made that decision. It's not been for me. And today, Sarah, I need to do that. I need to make Jesus mine. Because the life that I'm living, it's not measuring up. I'm dead in my sins. And I want to be free from my doubts. I want to be free of the mess that I've made. I want to be free of the addiction, free of the labels that hold me back, free from the bondage of bad choices, free from a life and cycle that has left me broken. Today I want to receive Jesus. I want to receive that gift. I want to let him be Lord of my life. I want him to take control and turn away from the way that I've been doing it because if you're being honest with yourself, the way that you've been doing it has just left a mess of things. If that's you and you're here today and you say, Aaron, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to experience his life. And as he would describe it to the fullest today, I want him to make me brand new. I want him to resurrect me today. If that's you and you say, Aaron, I, I want to make that commitment, I don't know how, but I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to make, a, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And if you'll join me in that prayer, God will meet you where you're at. It will be your even now moment. And if that's you and you want to join me in this prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want anybody looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front and say your name and talk about your sin. 
you want to make a difference today, have your even now moment. Have your page turn from 1941 to 1942. Would you just shoot your hand up and say, that's me, Aaron. Do it now. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Thank you for that honesty. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody else? Don't miss your moment. You've been stuck on a freeway that's going in circles like 270 does, and this is your exit ramp to freedom. Won't you take it? Won't you take it? If that's you, shoot your hand up. Do it now. Come on. Come on. This is your last chance. I'm going to pray this prayer. If you're listening through podcasts, you can pray it where you're at. If you're watching by Periscope, God will meet you where you're at right now if you'll join us in this prayer. You can pray out loud or you can pray in your heart, but either way you need to mean it. So Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came to this earth and you died and rose from the dead so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be made brand new, so that I could receive a new life. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus.